Hello everyone, my name is Gnaimeta and um, as always I'm your host uh, for the Plaid podcast. This is our first attempt at making a video podcast thanks to uh, Dr. Goal, who is uh, our lead uh, panel member today. Um, and um, I'm hoping to explore his journey and um, uh, his uh, insight into how incorporating within the NHS from a different healthcare system uh, some of the challenges, some of the benefits, um, and uh, what it is that drove him to continue in the path. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Gold to our first uh, video podcast. Hello, Gane. Thank you for that introduction. So for those who don't know me, I'm Chetan. I'm uh, one of the JCFs currently working uh, in Anurin Bevan Health Board and uh, um, as uh, Gane rightly said, basically I came through the PLAB route uh, from India and uh, basically worked my way f after graduating, uh, doing my med school in India and then worked my way through the PLAB exams where I got my first job in the UK where I'm currently working. Okay, so so uh, am I right to say you did your medical schooling in India and then you worked there for a period of time? Um, yes, yes I did. So what was it about coming to the UK um, that made you go through this quite extensive process? Well, the there are a couple of reasons why, you know, you don't want to uh, continue with your medical career in India. The main reasons being, one, uh, doctors in India, especially the, the trainees, they are, they, are, they are very overworked. Uh, I mean, there are no set rotors that they work on. They're just working like 24-7-365. And, you know, initially you know that that was the way and everybody basically accepted the fact that 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 is that is the way to become a doctor but you know recently more and more uh doctors are realizing that that is not the way to go and uh basically they're trying to basically aim for a better life for themselves so to speak mm -hmm. and uh they want better working hours and they want better pay so that that is the second issue the, the doctors are highly underpaid as well uh compared to the hours they're working so, I mean, and, and by doctors, you mean junior doctors, because I, I assume that as a consultant level, you probably end up making more money if you're in the private sector. Um, it was, is that, is that, are you talking about the junior doctor level or are you talking about the consultancy level? Um, so yeah, I'm mostly talking about the junior doctor level and, uh, and, and the regis as well. So they both sort of fall under the same bracket. So they're not paid a lot of money. Uh, basically it's the money is just enough to you know pay the rent and pay the food bills and that's it uh, they cannot afford anything apart from that hmm. um at a consultant level maybe the pay gets a bit better but i won't say that it's it's good enough compared to uk or us or any other hmm. uh countries uh, that we look uh, up to so hmm. so no I, I would not say the pay is uh, higher at a consultant level as well okay all right so i i guess i i get a feeling as to why why you wanted to come here and we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about towards the end whether whether uh, all your thoughts were actually true. Uh, yeah. But um, uh, okay, so so you realised that um, the UK was the was the country to pick. Uh, I just want to go into why you picked UK over US or any other countries. Well, yes. So uh, so normally in India, people look to go to four countries if they wanna if they wanna move out of India. The top one is US, the second is UK, 
and the third would be Australia and fourth would be Canada in in terms of pursuing their their higher medical education or, or training. Okay. So US has a very well established path, and most of the people tend to uh, go to US. Uh, because it has set exams, it has a set path to follow, but the downside is that it's very expensive and it's very uncertain and it's highly competitive. So, uh, I mean, looking into that, uh, I mean, a lot of people do get discouraged because the, I mean, not all of the people uh, or, or graduate doctors can afford to pay the fee to uh, enter US to do their uh, you know, to pay their observership fee or to pay their exam fees and whatnot. So, so UK seems to be a more lucrative option for those who want to move out of India into a better training program and they cannot afford to move to US. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess that's fairly clear, but um, uh, there is an extensive process. Um, yeah. So um, how did you map that out in your head? Um, so, so what? How did you start, and what age did you start? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I. So the process um, to basically start working in the UK involves first um, taking your English exam, which could be IELTS or OET, which is then followed by a PLAB one exam, and then your PLAB two exam, which is the OSC exam which is then followed by a GMC registration, and then you start applying for jobs. So as you rightly said, it is an extensive process. And most of the people who already have a clear idea where they want to go, they start either in their, in their final year of med school or they start after their, or during their F1 uh, rotation, so to speak. So we don't have a defined F1. What, what we call in India is internship. So we start during our internship. Hmm. So that's when I started. So that would be in the year 2019 is when I started. And I ended up uh, in UK when I started working was in 2022. So it took almost three years. Three years. And, and yeah. what age were you when you when you started? Um, I was um, um, 25, 25, I would like so to say. So, so yeah. 20, 28 by the time you, you started yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I guess it's just useful for, I guess, the viewers to understand yeah. how long it takes and some of the life cons consequences it may affect them. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you mind if we just take each of these exams in turn? And um, not to boast about you, uh, Chetan, but um, I've worked with hundreds of IMGs in my, in my medical career. And you're probably one of the most um, uh, adaptive um, clinician that I've worked with, um, you, you you understand what is required of the system very quickly and is able to adapt, um, and and I believe that's the reason for uh, for your success so far, um, and because of that was the main reason I wanted to have you on um, because your insight is extremely valuable for our viewers. Um, so so if we just take each of the exams in turn, would you be able to tell me? Uh, starting with this English exam, so you, you've got the two options, the IELTS and the OETs. Um, so uh, how did you pick between them two and what efforts did you make in preparing for this exam? All right. So between the English exams, as I said, we have the IELTS and the OET. Now, the difference between the two is, uh, which is normally the 
the general consensus that OAT is a much simpler exam to pass as compared to IELTS, but OAT is much more expensive as compared to IELTS. So it's sort of a, you know, it, uh, you just have to select one of those two. If you want to pay less, if you feel that you're fairly confident that you're going to pass IELTS, then, you know, people usually go for IELTS. It's, mm. it's relatively cheap. But if they feel that, you know, and a lot of people that I know, they have tried uh, going through IELTS and they end up not passing the written exam in IELTS. And then they, 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 then they they switch to OET. Yeah. Uh, so they end up paying a lot of money for the English exam anyway. So, mm. so I, I see now that a lot of people are moving towards OET. Hmm. compared to IELTS yeah. and uh, uh, OAT is a more flexible exam it's it's you know it's it's m- much easier it's more medically oriented and uh, uh, you know oh, so it's medically oriented exam. yeah it's, it's 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 as in like IELTS are just like English speaking and uh, you know um, it's just they test your English but uh, OAT is more of a sort of OSCE based exam where they have okay. some uh, uh, you know, professional scenarios integrated into it. So a lot of people find it helpful, even as it overlaps a bit with the PLABO exam. Okay. And remind me, you did the PLABO, or the, uh, sorry, you did oh, the IELTS or the OETs? I did the IELTS. Uh, so basically the reason I did IELTS was because when I started the journey, I was not aware that there is an OET exam as well. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't do much research about the English exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I went to, to the, I, I think when I was just... Uh, uh, searching about how to go about the PLAB journey, somebody said I just need to take the the English exam and the IELTS exam, and I just I just booked it uh, on a whim, and I didn't really think about it because yeah. I was fairly confident with my English speaking skills and writing skills. I was like, okay. it's fine. So, so how did you go about preparing for that exam? Um. All right. So personally, I just went through like a week uh, weeks preparation. I mm-hmm. went through a few mock tests and took the exam. I didn't really prepare much. Uh, but I know for a fact that a lot of people do go through sternest preparation for IELTS exam if they feel that they're not very good at English. Mm-hmm. So they will take IELTS coaching and uh, they will like do a three to six month preparation for the exam before they actually sit for the exam. So so it depends on person to person. Uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's it's very difficult to uh, you know generalize how much time would you would need to uh, you know prepare for the IELTS exam because it's it's not a very direct exam. You know, it, it's very subjective, and because it depends a lot on the examiner who's testing you, how he feels, uh, you know, your your spoken or your written English is, and then it also depends on your confidence level on, on and your proficiency on the language. So uh, I would say that it's it's very subjective, but people do go through uh, at least a couple of months of preparation before they take the exam if they're going for IELTS or OET both them yeah and, no I, I I think it's, yeah. it's, it's a valuable part of of um obviously living in this country is, is to yeah. is to be able to converse in the language yeah. um, and I can I, I I I know a lot of people who've struggled to pass the exam and yeah they're pretty good um English speakers themselves and I think it's yeah. a very difficult exam to be yeah. perfectly honest with you yeah um but um, I, I guess some of the sessions that we'll probably cover here in the future uh, would be surrounding communication skills. And, and, and hopefully the, that skill and the knowledge base of communicating uh, should reflect through to IELTS as well. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping some of our session would be useful for our viewers. Um, yeah. and, and, and 
Are, are there any other tools apart from coaching that you found quite useful? Did you find useful to, I don't know, you know, listen to BBC News or, or being in the country? Or uh, did, you, did you find any other kind of, uh, there are a lot of people who may not have that kind of money to go through coaching. Is there any other um, resources that they can use? Um, all right. So, um, so naturally, I was not uh, able to pick up English from being the country because I took the exam in India. Mm-hmm. So that's out of the bag. Um, the other thing would be uh, there are a lot of free internet forums and YouTube channels that you can go to to prepare for the exam. So you don't mm-hmm. actually have to pay you know anything uh, if if you're not uh, willing to spend money on the preparation. The third is that IELTS coaching is very easily available, especially in Punjab, where I come from because a lot of people are migrating to Canada and one of the requirements for the Canadian visa is that you need to have certain bands in IELTS. So like IELTS coaching is very, very easily available where okay. I come from. So right. where you come yeah. from is quite straightforward. Yeah. But th- there are other free resources available if they want. Yeah, there are a lot of free resources available. You you can yeah have like like you know millions of resources available on the internet for free okay. forums and good channels. Yeah. So so now you've cut you've 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 um, passed this hurdle of IELTS, and then the yeah. next step, I believe, is the PLAB one examination. Yes. Um, so um, my understanding is is there are single based um, answer questions um, and yeah. um, multiple choice questions. Yeah. Uh, and and you have a certain time limit in order to do this. Um, yeah. My feeling, talking to a lot of IMGs, is that a lot of people seem to do okay with this exam, um, and uh, there are enough resources out there. So perhaps if you can talk me through your strategy on how you prepared for this exam, um, and and what your uh, what what your reflections are uh, after doing the exam. All right. Um. So let's talk about the main hurdle in taking the PLAB1 exam. Um, so the biggest hurdle in PLAB1 exam is actually getting a slot for the exam. Hmm. So initially before 2020, the dates of were very easily available due to a number of reasons. But post-2020, there is a huge backlog and uh, they haven't really increased the scope of the exam uh, to cover all the, you know, possible candidates. So there is a huge backlog and, and there is a huge waiting list to, to book a slot for the exam. So And is it like first come, first serve? Where you, it is, yeah, it you, is a first come, first serve. You know, 6.50 on the dot and try and press as many buttons as you can in order to get your slot? Or is it um, is it that you, are, you apply and you're on a waiting list? Um, so it was first come first serve when I applied for the exam. Uh, so GMC has actually changed the rules. Uh, uh, they keep changing the rules every now and then about uh, you know how to go about booking the exam. Uh, so I'm I, I'm not sure what what the current status is about booking, mm-hmm. but I, I know for a fact that it's not very easy to book. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, that's that's what it is. And uh, um, in terms of taking the exam itself, uh, it's 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 fairly straightforward exam. Uh, uh, you go through one or two question banks available um, on the internet and uh, you take the exam and most of the questions are very similar to the ones that you practice. So, uh, you know, there's there's not much uh, uh, to, you know, actually do about that. Just solve a few question banks and you're done. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And um, uh, I, I, be- I believe you managed to clear those in the first attempts. And yes. Most I... people tend to do that you know you know first attempts in with these kind of exams um yes so so most of the people that i know they they managed to clear lab one exam in the first attempt uh but yeah uh there are a few who you know don't manage to get through but then 
they they know what to do and uh, you know they, yeah, they sort of they, they they managed to clear it in the second attempt so okay all right um now i guess that i want to spend a, a good amount of time talking about the plab 2 exam um because my understanding is and correct me if i'm wrong is that majority of people who embark this journey this seems to be the the, the pit stop and and seems to be the the, the point where people seem to struggle and um, I, a lot of people seem to fail quite a few times before they get get onto the next stage. Um, so perhaps if you can and spend a bit of time just talking me through your strategy and your reflection on how you prepared for this exam, how the exam process went yourself, um, and then and then afterwards we can talk about what you did following the plat two exam. All right. So for so there are a lot of variables involved in taking the Blab two exam. Um, first, of course, again, like Blab one exam, you need to find, uh, you know, a slot for the Blab two exam, which is a hurdle in itself. Uh, it's a huge. There was a huge, huge backlog uh, uh, when I was uh, appearing for Blab two, and uh, GMC did manage to increase uh, the number of slots available for the exam. So from what I know now, it's it's, it's not as bad as it was in twenty twenty or around twenty twenty, but. Uh, but yeah, um, that is the first hurdle again uh, to get a slot. Uh, the second is then then you come to the UK to take the exam. So for a lot of people, that's their first uh, experience traveling out of India, and it could be a bit overwhelming. You know, it's a new surrounding, it's a new environment, and uh, you know, so uh, people get a bit overwhelmed. And and uh, from what I know, they have this is this is the first point of contact with the UK. Yeah. So, so this is where the notions about what UK actually is gets tested, you know, uh, and then so that that's the the second thing to adjust to the U, the UK environment to a new environment. And did you just come for this exam, um, or did you come beforehand for the preparations? Um. Yes. So. So. Uh, yes. We most of the people they they tend to come just for the exam. They they have no other. Uh, purpose and and that's what we say on a visa application as well. We need to show a booking of the exam uh, to to apply for the visa, and yeah. uh, and that's that's the only reason they grant us a six month period uh, to stay in the UK to take okay. the exam. Right. And and people people tend to come a bit earlier before the exam date, at least a month uh, before, so that you know okay. they they can get used to the accent, they can u- get used to the way of life or the yeah. border language of the people uh, before so the. Do you recommend period. something like this, or did you find that useful? Yeah, that's always useful. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that most people who pass English exam they they have no problem communicating in English, but uh, but getting used to the accent is uh, you know a whole different ballgame because uh, it's it's not always uh, very easy to get uh, used to the accent, especially when you're going to Manchester to take the exam and the Mancunian accent is not the most uh, you know English accent that you're used to, so. So <laughs> I'll I'll let my brother know that because he lives in Manchester. So I'm like, yeah. he's listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, and um uh, he knows better of himself now. Um <laughs> so uh so uh, take me to your individual strategy. Yeah. Um what did you do in order to prepare for this exam? Because you were able to successfully clear it. I, I believe it was the first time you managed to yeah. clear this exam. So you clearly had a very good strategy going into this. So tell me about what you did. Uh, in order to get through the exam successfully. All right. So basically, the first thing that we did was we joined, um, uh, I would like to say, one of the Plap2 academies. Uh, 
which uh, basically they give you a platform to interact with more people who are, you know, also in the similar boat. Uh, they're also, you know, in the plateau boat and they are waiting to take their exam. Uh, and uh, they they give us a sort of uh, a blueprint as to how the exam works and what to expect on the day of the exam. Mm. And and that is useful in a couple of ways. Uh, one of which is that you you get to practice with a group of people. Mm. Uh, and the second is that, you know, they provide you with the couple of stations to practice the hands-on uh, OSCE stations, basically the, the examination and, and the procedural stuff. So it's, it's really helpful uh, for, you know, th- those things. And uh, so personally, what I did was uh, on the first day when I attended the, the, the orientation session, I, I made a couple of friends. Um, and we we basically formed a group and we practiced together for like one one and a half month before we sat for exam. So uh, essentially, that's what we did. We we went through different scenarios uh, and uh, uh, I mean, a lot of people what they tend to do is they tend to form a script inside their head as to how they would you know communicate with the patients, mm-hmm. and they tend to rehearse it a lot. Uh, you know. It, it becomes very robotic. It becomes very mechanical. Uh, at the end of the day, what we did as a group was we just focused on more of the clinical part of it, as in what what should what is expected of us, as uh, you know, if patient comes in the hospital or whatever setting they're in, and if we are the first point of contact, we are, you know, uh, talking to them. What would be expected of us in terms of taking the history, providing a sort of management plan, and that was the sort of areas that we rehearsed. Um, we, we didn't actually, uh, do a lot of communication stuff. Mm. Uh, a reason for that is because most of us, they come from similar backgrounds. So we would not know how, what, you know, the, uh, what GMC would expect, so to speak. I mean, I mean, we, we, uh, because the, the, a big part of Plateau exam is focusing on your, your interpersonal skills, your communication skills. That's essentially what they're testing apart from your clinical knowledge. And, uh, uh, and you know, people who come from all different sorts of, uh, you know, different countries, uh, they have different backgrounds uh, with respect to the training and not everybody is accustomed to that sort of, uh, you know, uh, how do I say a consultation practice that's that's uh, you know practice in the UK it's more uh, it's more patient focus and it is a big dialogue they emphasize a lot on having a dialogue be- between doctor and the patient whereas mm-hmm. uh, in India it's 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 very you know it's it's more Socratic it's more uh, directed towards the patient rather than having a you know two-way dialogue so mm-hmm. they're most more so in terms of a training uh, when we come to the UK we have a natural instinct to, to talk less to the patient and tell them more hmm. and which is something that we we need to basically change uh, and you know just mentally inculcate that we need to you know change this aspect of a practice yeah. and and that is also something that we worked on uh like just like just we, we would keep we would keep that in the mind that if if 
uh, you know when we're practicing the scenarios and we are basically uh, just forming a, a whole uh, plan as to how to proceed with the station we would just bear in mind that we we need to keep the patient in mind and for some people it comes a bit easy for some you know it becomes a bit difficult to to sort of inculcate this practice and and you know that's where the individual difference lies but uh, for me as a group i think it was fairly easy because uh, a lot of us got the hang of it fairly quickly we we understood the assignment so to speak and we just just got through it that that's a really uh, interesting insight actually because you know you you're trying to change a uh, whole mentality you know you've yeah. you've done a way of doing things for a long period of time it's etched into your your genetics so so it speaks yeah and and in order to unlearn that skill in order to yeah. learn it again that's an extremely difficult task. Um, so um, I, I remember when we were having conversations before about um, how you go about uh, learning uh, this skill and developing these skills. You, you, you mentioned to me, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I was hoping whether you would be able to explore a bit more about your experience when you had, um, I, I believe, a month of observership. Um, yeah. Is it Liverpool or around that area? Yeah. Because um, I remember you mentioned to me that actually some of the lessons you learned from there in terms of how you communicate with patients were actually far more useful than anything you've done before. So perhaps yeah. you can explore that for me. Uh, all right. So basically, as you rightly pointed out, I did my observership in Liverpool, but that was after my PLAP exam. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, so we see that, you know, a lot of things that we're actually artificially practicing between ourselves we could actually just go into a hospital setting and see all of those clinical scenarios play out in real time hmm. and you know just having an interaction with the patient actually gives you the gist of what is expected in the exam so yeah. so all my insight came in retrospect after taking the exam and I realized that, you know, observership is so much more helpful because if you're already working in the NHS setting and you're interacting with the patients every day or just observing doctors interact with the patients, then then you know what's expected out of you because, you know, the, the, the they're not expecting anything extraordinary out of us. They're just they're just expecting that we interact and we behave in the same way that the doctors in the NHS are already doing. And, and that's it. And that's it. And and what they're actually, you know, trying to focus on during the preparation. The, uh, uh, by they, I mean the Plato Academies, is that yeah, they're trying to, uh, you know, show us how it's done in the NHS. But it's it's more artificial. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a real time setting because we're not in a hospital setting. Whereas yeah. if you just you, go you to the hospital that, and see that um, the texture and depth of understanding yeah. you um and and i found that really interesting when you mentioned about that experience because i think it's such a valuable thing um yeah. and 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 my understanding is it's quite difficult to arrange unless you know a consultant yeah. um, who's willing to take you on and yeah. you can go through the hoops of it actually getting an observership program doesn't sound particularly straightforward at the moment no, it's not. Uh, it's actually a very difficult uh, thing to arrange uh, because you need to find a lot of contacts. You need to do a lot of networking before you actually get a contact to get into observ observership. 
program yeah. and and the thing was especially difficult because when we were in the process uh, there was uh, you know this whole covid pandemic which prevented us from actually applying to the hospital so so i'm not sure how easy or difficult it is at the moment but it was difficult a couple of years back and uh, from what i gather from uh, uh, my friends who are taking the plat to exam uh, it's not you know easy for them as well if they have no contacts um and you know we we um um touched on the point that you know observership helps in in uh, in basically getting you around uh, mentally to how the the practice in the uk works but uh, uh, for the sake of the plat to exam but i would also like to say that it's also important because it gives you some experience of what working in the nhs is like yeah so a lot of us who come to the uk or are planning to come to the uk we do not know what to expect in terms of you know what working here would be like so we have an idea in terms of what we see or gather from social media or movies or whatever our friends or relatives or family tells us but we do not have a first hand experience of what working in the nhs is like and and i mean uh, there are pros and cons of working in the nhs and there's a whole debate and there's a lot of you know there's the good things and the bad things and if yeah. if you try to find something also on 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 the internet and social media you you just get a lot of bad noise of you know especially in today's scenario where there is a then there are talks about nhs being broken and what not and it really does not give you the right picture as to what working in the nhs is like for example i was just talking to one of my friends uh, a few days back and uh, basically he was in, on, on this plab journey and he asked me like you know doctors are going on strike and you know the whole you know everywhere on the news whenever the type nhs and what working in the nhs is like you know people just start commenting that you know it's broken it's it's very bad and you know it makes them a bit apprehensive as to you know if they're making the right decision and they so you know they have started the process they have invested some amount of money but they actually do not know what it's going to be like so i think having you know just your foot in the hospital and seeing for yourself also helps you make a decision as to whether you want to pursue in the uk or not which yeah. i feel is a very important uh uh bet because uh, a lot of the times they just invest too much time and money and then they feel that you know it's not what they want to do yeah no yeah. i i absolutely agree and and when you were talking to me about this uh, to me it sounded like a no brainer i think to me yeah. it sounded like the single most important exercise in the entire preparation is to yeah. um uh, observe what the work actually is like observe the the, the doctors who are actually gone through the process um yeah. and and reflect and uh, uh, embark that um skill when it when it comes to the exam and it probably sounds like it's the most important um uh, preparation process and 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 perhaps um I, I, if the viewers are interested we can look at um organizing some observerships uh for for our listeners and our viewers and um i'd really like some feedback for people listening to this episode whether that's something that you would like or or, or would want us to organize for you so do follow us on our social media page uh, at plab podcast on um instagram twitter and facebook um uh, and and do give us feedback on whether this is something that's useful, um, uh, Doctor Gore. I'd I'd like to thank you very much uh, for coming to the episode today. Um, I would like to bring you back to 
uh, our episode in the future. Uh, perhaps in the next episode, we can talk about your journey after the PLAB exam and how you went about uh, establishing the GMC and embedding yourself within the NHS and some of the challenges that goes through. Uh, um, so if you'd be kind enough, I would love to welcome you back to, to our platform to talk about those topics. Um, uh, and it was absolutely lovely and a pleasure to have you on our podcast channel. Thank you for inviting me, Thank you.